It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woo-hoo! Yeah, baby. This week's starring special guest star, Richard Dance, better known as Crawdaddy. Yeah. Welcome to the show. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Let's get open the real audience. There they are slowly filtering as musicians are prone to do right into that chat room hello everybody mark doyle Polly, Polly, who got his first placement congratulations dude uh, peter rayhill amanda giza let's see who else we got there craig bob gloria anyway james how are you uh glad you guys could join us today um so Richard was here last year, about a year ago, and two years ago prior to that. And uh, he originally came on the show and played some tracks uh, that he'd done with his band, The Jethro Sexuals. And I was just just absolutely blown away by just how much pocket groove there was. And uh, he came back last year, played more stuff. He's got a lot of stuff in a lot of libraries. But... The thing that I love about him, other than just being a great guy and a friend, is the fact that he captures that live human feel better than almost anybody I can think. A lot of it has to do, as I jokingly say, with his right hand, not going down that road, but he does have just amazing feel in his right hand. So, um, welcome back to the show. And Thanks, sir. He, he actually he makes my life easy because he comes with a plan. So tell these guys what we're going to talk about. I mean, the, the the basis of everything is feel, but lay it on. Yeah, well, you know, feel is uh, is kind of elusive. It's kind of abstract, and I think it comes with years of experience, or if you happen to be born with some talent. Uh, but it's kind of that third thing, and there's a lot of ways to define it. But if if something has feel, it feels good when you hear it. And that, I think that's the key thing to it. It just feels good when you hear it. How yeah. often do you use a live drummer versus drums on a computer or out of a box? All the time now, yeah. I've gotten so used to a live drummer, I can't. And I'm too lazy to learn drum software. So. But I remember some of your stuff did have some drum software on it that I listened to, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, the first two years, I was just, I had my little Boss drum machine. Yeah, that's right. I remember yeah. it. And I was still, you wouldn't have even known. Well, you know, I, we were talking about that on the first show because we were playing some stuff when I was using that machine, and we were talking about how if you have other live players, it'll make the drum loop sound better. Yeah. But what I didn't explain and what the reason it really worked for me was I wrote my bass and guitar parts to the drum pattern, whereas most people will, I don't know what most people do, but a lot of times you <laughs> create your tracks and then you try to find a drum loop or a hook or something that kind of goes with it and you might modify it a little bit right. to flow with the other instruments but I literally would write the bass part right to the kick pattern and then a guitar would be comping against that so it sounds like and this is the other important thing about feel it sounds like the players are listening to each other well so, you know quote unquote listening so that duh. Yeah. well you'd be <laughs> that's surprised that's what it was done back in my day yeah you'd be surprised how much music is pretty well put together but it doesn't sound like the players have any individual personality and in that they're listening to each other, if that makes sense. 
No, and looking at each other, you know, line of sight, I always found in the studio was a really valuable thing. And sometimes uh, I actually learned this from Neil Young uh, on the rare occasions we had anybody else in the studio with us. He didn't care about the drums leaking into something or anything leaking into anything. He was all mm -hmm. about let's vibe on each other. Yeah and, yeah, and being able to look at somebody like you know, yes, brother, we're in the pocket together means everything. Yeah, that's that's the key. So you know, that's one of my rules is priority one is listen to the other players, whether that's somebody real in the studio or in a club if you're sitting in or whatever, or if it's um, listening to the track that you're playing with that maybe another taxi member recorded, you know, and then send it to you. You have to really listen. How much collaboration stuff do you do? And the reason, one of the reasons I'm asking is, oh my gosh, I forgot to finish that edit today. I'm working on uh, part two of the Collaboration Nation panel that will go out in our next newsletter. And I was supposed to oh, de nice. deliver it to, for a final edit today before it goes in Recording Magazine. I forgot that. Shoot. We're going to eat a fast dinner tonight. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, how much collaborating do you now do with your fellow members? Well, it's it's keeping me pretty busy because, you know, I kind of, once I figured out what my lane was in this world at my age and my stage in life, I'm going to play what I know. Some of it gets signed. That's fine with me. And my style is kind of defined. It's It'll vary a little bit, but I've had people reach out to me and say, like, you know, can you put some of that funky stuff on an EDM track or a hip-hop track? Ooh. And so just to give it a little bit different spin and so i'm learning i'm learning to broaden i guess you know play on different kinds of music how does that feel because albert down? king will fit anywhere you know <laughs> how does that feel playing on like an edm track oh i love what it. you do i love it i did some stuff with uh, michael jones he does that kind of real aggressive edm stuff and uh he he'll i'll just send him like 10 guitar tracks and he just kind of hacks them all up and does stuff with them and I don't know how he does it. Where did you meet him? At the, at the road rally? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've known him a few years now. This is, I've done four rallies. And uh, Cass, who I worked with last year, um, doing stuff with a new singer out of Texas, Michelle Leverett. Uh, Nick Moxham over in the UK. He's yeah. a he's super creative brain. You know, he just has got a color mind. Uh, and... Uh, it's just fun working with different minds because when you do your own thing all the time, it gets a little one-dimensional. You know? That's what uh, when I was doing the first draft or the first edit uh, of that uh, interview from the panel last year. I was working on it last night before I went to bed, and so many of the people on the panel said that same thing. You know that just getting outside of your comfort zone and, and your own head by collaborating just brings so much to your world. You know, it's not that you're oh, always boy. giving to them, you're getting back, too. Yeah, yeah, it works. And um, you get more libraries because stuff, right. that, you know, different right. kinds of libraries that wouldn't normally take, you know, my Southern Soul funk stuff. So uh, it helps. It helps. Every, every, we all help each other, I guess I should say. So. so let's jump right into some music because I know that you brought a lot. And Richard did something really cool. By the way, I scared the hell out of him. I called him on Thursday or Friday last week. So, you know... I just had a realization. If you, if any of the stuff you're going to play on the show is already in libraries, um, oftentimes uh, YouTube will mute the show when we do the archive version on YouTube because the libraries have uh, copyright stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't want a muted show, so I had him pare the list way down, and he only brought 18 things. But uh, a lot of them are. Well, you know what? Just explain, yeah, just, explain what we're going to do. Yeah, just short little stuff. So the first thing, um, 
I have a friend in Tempe, Arizona. He's a great engineer and producer, and he's worked with some big names. And I said, Clark, man, when you're thinking about a band, how to bring them in and record them and produce them, what do you do first? And he says, well, if it's a band with all the regular rock or whatever solo instruments, I get the bass player and the drummer in the studio alone and then maybe bring in the lead singer. So there's no guitars, mm -hmm. there's, there's no organs, there's no horns, no backup singers. And you just kind of set the bass that way. So when I was thinking about that, I went, wow, what if we played just 10 or 15 seconds of a piece that I've done that you just hear the bass and the drums, you know, just 10 seconds. So you hear where they're connecting and then we just play the next track, which will have the full band. So you kind of hear what's underneath it. Does that make sense, people? I don't know. We'll try it. So really just the first track up, this is just an example of uh, a bass and a drummer uh, on a rock track. How do you tell how loud it is over there? That's that old uh, Dan Electro plastic bass. The clear one? Well, just hollow, hollow black sparkle. So you get the idea. Real drummer. Yeah, real drummer. Okay, so now we're going to play now the full band. Now here's the full song. that little dude <laughs> so you, you could kind of hear the reason there's some good guitar playing and singing going on but the reason that thing feels good and as Louis Armstrong used to say if your foot starts patting then it's good music and you know Duke Ellington if it sounds good it is good but I think my opinion the reason that song works is because the bass and the drummer are listening to each other and yeah, these guys always say if Michael's <laughs> if I look like a bobblehead I'm doing that, which is about <laughs> as funky and groovy as I get. Uh, they know the music is good. so uh, You don't know so, how to popcorn anymore? No, I never <laughs> did, never will. Uh, somebody actually said, uh, let us know, I think it was Paulie maybe said, can you tell us which instruments are real and which ones are software? So that was all real. Yeah, uh, everything today is all, all real players. Well, me and a drummer. You know, yeah. One one other player. Maybe. And that's you playing bass. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You are multi talented. Um, uh, not really, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a rock example. I had a funk one, but it's signed, so we couldn't play that one. <laughs> but I've got another example of this under the same concept: bass and drummer listening to each other, and this shows how even locking the kick and the bass on a slow ballad, it's important to create feel. I guess my main point today is there's a lot of things that feel comes from, you know, the arrangement, the lyrical sense of the song, all that stuff, production, but feel in terms of 
rhythm and groove, that's what I'm focusing on today. So just to make that clear. Feels everything. All right. Uh, so this one track. is just bass and drums, and it's track three, and it's called Just a Little Bit More, right? Yeah, and it's a, kind of a slower song, but just pay attention to the bass and the kick. Sounds almost like something you'd learn in elementary music class on the day for week one. Gives me an idea. Okay, so now we're gonna go to the just full straight track. to the next. One. You know this is the same session of the same exact song. I know you got it, so put it right there. I can't get enough. It's been a little bit too long. You got the right stuff, so let's take it somewhere. Just a little bit more. Oh, that's what I want now. Just a little bit more. That's all I So, Makes a point, yeah. And, and somebody asked a question, uh, do you always cut in the studio? So it's just the two of you live in the studio together. No, uh, no, uh, I actually do all the parts with a drum loop, you know, that's close to uh, it. Yeah. And then I have the singers come in, do all the guitar parts, organ, whatever, usually just play everything, maybe one other guy. And then we go to the drum studio and have him replace wow. the drum loop. Well, and we'll modify it a little bit, you know, but it's so pretty, he's play, is He's he learning hearing? to play drum loops. <laughs> wow. Okay, so it's like he's playing good to enough. A, he's yeah. a session guy, so he can do it. But it's like playing to a click for him, you know. He's just got it. But I would yeah. think, uh, you know, for the whole theory behind locking with each other, that the guy'd want to be in the room with you. Yeah, well, that's uh, ideal. But to get all these knuckleheads in the same room at the no, same time. No, I mean time. just you and the bass player, you and the drummer. If you're playing bass. Oh right, no. I no, hope none no. of your knuckleheads are watching the show. By the way. <laughs> no, they're all. They live in another world. <laughs> okay. They don't even know what taxi is. <laughs> That's okay. But uh. Well, we could change that. Yeah, I, I'm, I believe me. I've been I've been pushing it. But uh, anyway, so yeah, it's kind of a weird setup. You think I would be in the room with the drummer? Yeah, it's, it's, it's ass backwards. Uh, I know. You lay your bass part down for feel with the a drum with the drummer loop, with the drum loop with the loop. Yeah, and then go in and overdub the drummer. Yeah, and actually on these songs, I wasn't using a loop. I would put a click down, play the bass part with the click. Yeah, and hopefully all the notes land in the right place. And then I'll get on a pad and just tap out the kick and the snare, tap out the hat on another track. I literally create the drum beat. I got lazy later and just started writing loops uh but i tap them all out and then we take that to the drummer and then i sit in there with him the whole time how long does it take him to lay down one song on drums if you when you bring him the bass part and the once it's all set up on his in his files and he's ready to record maybe 30 minutes 
you know. And an does hour. he modify yeah. or do you modify to taste? You know, for oh, yeah. whatever you've laid down the loop is just for just for Get reference, the, so you know the yes. song parts. And then, so if he wants to add a fill or change a fill or something, yeah, we got to make it real. He's got to be able to feel because he's hearing the guitars and everything. You know, when he plays it, he's not just wow. hearing the bass parts. So, yeah, we're accenting stuff. It's not just exactly what I tapped out. Man. It's kind of weird, but, you know, I like working with real drummers and telling them what to do. Um, any particular attention paid to the lead vocalist being mindful of the kick drum? Uh, yeah, because that was me. So I was mindful of my, <laughs> the own kick I had just written. Do you sing most of your own stuff? No, no, no. I don't sing very much. I, I'm, I've tried to get good people to sing. If okay. it fits me, I'll do one. <laughs> McGayeth is asking, "What's a click track?" That's a. It used to be a metronome with a microphone on it, then electronic metronomes. Just tick, 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 tick. Just something that the band hears in their headphones, so that they don't speed up or slow down too much. Yeah. Uh, Okay, let's see if there's one more question we can take quickly. Look at that, Russell. The producer giving the class said that the drums are supposed to follow everything else in song, and that's very true. I've heard uh, some very smart and successful producers say that, but I think you can work it the other way, and I've purposely done that, because for me, drums is everything. You know, in my style of music, it's everything how the drummer feels it. Okay, click track. We got that covered. Question: uh, Really feel Logic drummer sounds live. I really feel Logic drummer sounds live enough. Is it even worth the money and time to have real drummer oops, uh, record songs? Probably not. You know, especially and if you've got somebody with a right hand like Richard playing guitar or playing bass on it. I, if you got so much pocket, you know. Well, if I, if I was not un, unlazy enough to learn drum software really well. I just don't have the time and the interest in learning that. And, and I'm not trying to crank out like, you know, 10 tracks a week for kind of the regular stock required music. I'm trying to write what I enjoy and I'm just going to use the real drummer. But no, it doesn't make any sense money-wise. And I'm getting a pretty good deal too. <laughs> so I, I know I'm confusing everybody. Wait, wait a minute, we're supposed to use a real drummer? Wait, it costs so much, don't do it? Yeah, I'm confusing everybody probably. All right, so what's up after this? This ain't love. Okay, so this is an example of the bass player and the drummer and just one guitar chord hitting only when the when the bass note hits. Okay. Just leave it at that. Play. Come on. Can you hear the guitar? Yeah. Drums are kind of loud. Oh, here, I'll turn them down. Leaves a lot of holes, obviously. Got the idea. And now there's nothing else in this song but some strings and a bunch of vocals. Remember Clean Up Woman by Betty Wright? Kind of has that vibe. It does. It? Absolutely, yeah. it does. Anything around 90 BPM is the Clean Up Woman. <laughs> All right, so here's the full track. Yeah. When the eyes turn to stone, we're turning to stone too. What are we supposed to do? We touch, we feel, we push, we 
we share We're hands together The same love We touch, we feel, we push, we share We're hands together The same love We touch, we feel, we push, we share We're hands together The same love We touch, we feel, we push, we share We're hands together The same love We touch, we feel, we push, we share We're hands together You know what it reminds me of, and I hate to keep dating myself. No, you should because I'm I'm in the same era. <laughs> that's right. We are both old. Um, the Clapton stuff that he would do with Yvonne Element. Oh yeah, it's very yeah. much in that style, you know. And, and again, it's got that pocket. That's going way back. And I was, we were trying to get kind of a Mary J. Blige thing, at least lyrically, but it it kind of went back another twenty years before that. But uh, anyway, so that's an example of. That's just one guitar with a bass player and a drummer. Everything else is vocals and strings. And there might have been a little, you know, hip-hop clap in there or something. Um, somebody just noted <coughs> how, you know, it's funky and it's simple. I don't know if you were a member or you were watching Taxi TV, but I, I did a show one day as kind of an homage to the Bee Gees mm -hmm. and playing their greatest hits. And every one of their songs, if you really listen to them, super simple and very well thought out. It's all about leaving the air so that only one thing is catching your attention. You know, the pocket is yeah. there, the feel, the groove is there, but little pieces of ear candy are always dancing in and out. It's yeah. not about having 16 instruments all playing at once. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an art form. It really is an art form. And there's other things like the wall of sound, the Phil Spector thing. That's another good sounding thing, but this stuff, it's supposed to have tons of air and space in it. And, the one thing is catching your attention. That's really well said, I think. That was my, my best one for the day, so enjoy it. Yeah. Um, do you use Pro Tools? You are funky. No, I don't I don't have any software. I have like a little Tascam Porta Studio that I lay everything down on and then take it over. Uh, my drummer uh, mixes it for me in Pro Tools after we get all the drums done. So he'll mix the whole song. So I get a package deal. Um, you brought up another point that I kind of wanted to make. Well, yeah, that's an example of less is more. Where you're talking about the BG mm -hmm. parts, you know, one part here, one part there. I love this quote from B.B. King. My guitar playing is simple like southern cooking involving only a few ingredients, so I had to become a good chef, you know. It is like cooking. And uh, a buddy of mine, I opened for B.B. years ago once in Singapore. Another buddy of mine kind of got to know him. And um, everybody thought he uses these big monster strings. He uses like uh, eights. Wow. <laughs> he says, he's like, really? You use eights? You know, because you think he's doing these big heavy bends on these big strings. Uh, and he says, I've only got about 16 licks. You know, that's what he said. <laughs> but he knows okay. how to put them together with the right, you know, right thing in the right place. Didn't you live like in Saudi Arabia or somewhere at one point in your life? Yeah. Worked uh, on oil fields, or in oil fields? Yeah, six years. And we had this, I had this amazingly lucky setup because I had a couple of bands over there. You're looking for something to do. And the oil companies would bring in major acts to play for the all the oil industry people, kind of like the USO plays for the military. Mm -hmm. 
and this was in the 70s and our band opened for virtually every one of them so we were they didn't know who the hell is this local band opening up <laughs> but we opened for like you know kenny rogers and Dottie west and dolly parton and bj thomas and the bellamy brothers and wow. all these old 70s bands yeah they were kind of they, were they kinda, weren't old then though were they when? well they were kind of at the peak of their career you know right past the peak they were starting to move into the the vegas circuit <laughs> and the weird thing was my uncle monk arnold in atlanta georgia was the agent that sent a lot of the bands there, but I didn't know he was a music agent. He wasn't the guy that I was in touch with very you, much. You thought he was a secret agent. <laughs> <laughs> and he, with a name like Monk, he should, have been a, Monk, he should have been a detective or had a TV series. But the coolest part was after the show, the after party would be in somebody's prefab trailer out in the desert drinking homemade wine and beer with Kenny Rogers and uh, Frankie Valley. And you and you can't drink in Saudi Arabia. Well, right? we all made our own stuff. You know, the, it was we kind of just did it anyway. But we're like, where are we going after the show? <laughs> all these uh, big stars. Okay, sorry. So yeah, yeah, we digress. We have some great conversations after the show's over. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, cooking too many spi spices for spoils the flavor. Yes, it does. Uh, besides, drum says. Is in big print? No, that's not a question. Okay, so let's move on because I don't see any other questions up there for the moment. All righty. Although the audience size is doubled, everybody. That's Just cool. in case he came late, that's Richard Dance. He's got a really funky Fat right hand. Okay. Uh, so okay. the next one's called the fault line. Yeah, and this is uh, we're moving from kick and bass locking to just how to phrase guitar solos and play real simply and kind of. We're not. I'm not going to tell them all this, but there's like eight. I don't realize this when I'm playing a solo, but when I go back and kind of like tab it out what I did, there's like five different techniques I use in this little, you know, eight bar guitar break, or maybe it's a 12 bar. Um, setting a solo up two bars before it starts, you know, the singer's kind of mm, grunting and, you know, I'll answer her and then she kind of hands it to me. This is again listening. So I'm listening to the singer, she hands it to me, um, and then I do my thing. You always want to breathe between your phrases and don't just rip through the whole thing. And then kind of let them know that you're setting it up to hand it back to the singer. And there's some other stuff going on, but instead of explaining So do you structure all, this stuff? Do you actually write out some sort no, of basic chart? No, uh, really? No, so no. it's all... Well, yeah, I've got it tabbed out like the length of the song and how, the chorus is eight bars or whatever. But this is just a 12-bar kind of a blues shuffle, so... You know, we all know how to do that anyway. Some of us do, some of us don't. Let's have a listen. So this is this just, is just the guitar solo. All right. Breathe. Answer myself. Breathe. Drummer hears me. Here's the whole song if you want to let it roll a little bit. Oh, no, sure. I'm sliding, I'm drifting again, lane drift. This badass singer. 
Good questions going by, but uh, somebody open for BB in '65. Who's tune up? Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, do you ever put horns on your stuff? Do you have horn players that you work with? Uh, no. I got one track in here that may have some horns on, but they're fake. All right, I'm Ooh. introducing you. Okay. To, to Polly. Oh yeah, I know Polly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I you just need Polly to be laying some horns on this stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like, put it on the docket. I'll get to it. <laughs> it man. Yeah, that could obviously could be a big Mad Dogs and Englishmen kind of horn section or Tower Power or whatever. Yeah. One of these days. Uh, somebody asked before where you live. He lives outside of Phoenix. Where Where, uh, where do you live? In I Chippy? live in the city. I live oh, downtown. Oh, that's yeah. right. Um, I want to come out one day and record you in the full band. In a studio. I know. It's on my mind, Michael. Uh, on, I can't... A, on a piece of two-inch tape. Using, okay. You know, all my old school stuff. To I might do. know a place where we could just have that already set up, but I, I got to get them all in the same town, and some of them are moving away. But I'm. It's, I, when you said that, I didn't forget it. 
All right. I've got I it written down. Got to do it. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway. Anyway, uh, questions? Uh, yeah, somebody asked, uh, who were your influences and where did you grow up in the South? Where did you learn? Because you have kind of a Southern blues. Yeah, I, I grew up down there. You know, that's the down great um, Gulf Coast, uh, Pensacola, Florida, New Orleans, Tallahassee, Mobile, Houston. Lived, grew up all along there, but mostly grew up in Northwest Florida. Uh, good music's in the water down there. With all due respect to Chicago and New York and L.A., it was all born down there, you know, 40 years ago, 60 years ago. And when you're around it, it just gets – there's millions of great players in these no-name towns in the South. You can just walk in any little juke joint like, listen, those guys play. So it's just everywhere down there. I was at an outdoor festival yesterday in a park, and there was a band from Israel there. And I'd say the guys – probably in mid to late 20s, maybe a couple of them, 30, 31. And they had two young ladies front in the band, two singers, um, 17, 18, 19 years old. That band was absolutely, and I can't even pronounce their name, but that band was so ready to like really? tour, uh, just smoking hot. They reminded me of Gloria Estefan in the Miami Sound Machine before they were famous. I, I lived in Miami and used to see them before oh, yeah. they really took off. And, and this band had that thing. Just, I love great music. I love great musicians. Yeah, if it sounds good, it is good. And, yeah, um, yeah it's just, I, I don't know how to explain it. You can, nowadays with technology, no matter where you grew up, you can hear anything from any era. But I'm a big fan of the Roots era, which started in about 1948, you know, Louis Jordan. Uh, have you ever had a chance to record at Muscle Shoals? No, that's on my bucket list. And I've heard, I just emailed the bass player from the Swampers, David Hood. I haven't heard back from him. I said, because one of the studios has been turned into a museum. Am I sliding? No, no you're, you're fine. Okay. And, and uh, I haven't heard back from him. I've heard you can go in there and uh, three of the guys are still alive and you can do a, do a track with them. And I would love to do that. Wow. But that's the Golden Triangle, you know, Memphis, Muscle Shoals, Nashville, Stax Records was in Memphis, and then, of course, the Meters in New Orleans. Um, <coughs> All those great studio bands. You know, the, here would be the Wrecking Crew, you know, back then. Yep. Okay. One somebody more question. Asked, somebody asked if I... It probably went away. I can scroll up a little. It was a relevant question. Those are the, my favorite ones. Uh, seems like since you have singers, a drummer, maybe a Hammond player without any specifics, are those tracks fairly expensive to produce? And how's that work with making money from libraries? I uh, hope that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I, well, I'm playing everything myself except the drums. And then I bring in maybe one singer, you know. Um, so it's not that expensive for me to do, you know. Um, but it's it's not, and I, I'm not trying to get a ton of music and a ton of libraries. If I was 30 years old, I probably would have taken a different route. Mm -hmm. You know, with all the education you get from taxi, there's a lot of lanes you can get in. And I just wanted to enjoy it. And I write maybe, uh, I try to write songs for singers, and I submit them to when it kind of matches, and most of the time it doesn't, but when they get in, this is a question for me to you, Michael. Okay. If you're staying in kind of more of a, a more of a roots or classic sound, is there a, do those stay in libraries longer because they're needed when they come in out of favor versus if you're just cranking out the latest 
thing that goes out of favor in six months? I mean, the, both probably, ways are valid, but you know what I'm probably asking? Probably is, is the right answer. Um, I w it would almost require me hearing the individual pieces of music to say that one sounds like it'll be in there for a while. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, uh, oh God, not EDM. Um, what kind of music am I thinking of that was like really popular two years ago? I always draw a blank on this. Um, well, when I first joined Taxi, everything was ukuleles and whoa, 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 and a lot of ukuleles. That still surprisingly is it's hanging still going. on. Yeah, yeah, it is, and everybody's shocked by it. But look, it works in a lot of TV commercials more than anything. Um, so no, that, could, that could be a style that stays around for a long time. Ukes are very inoffensive. They're they're friendly. Mm -hmm. um, I love them. I, I just don't get in. I don't play it, but yeah. I'm, you'd be wicked if you did. <laughs> Um, what's the style of electronic music uh, everybody was so into, like two Trump. years ago? Uh, no? Maybe uh, somebody will tell us. Dubstep, thank you. Um, yeah, dubstep. It's like every third listing was for dubstep a couple of years, like four or five years ago. And then it really calmed down to almost nothing. And then just recently we've seen a little bit uh, of a pickup in that. But... Um, I mean, dubstep's been around in one form or another for years. Uh, I mean, you go back to having is having roots in London, I think, in the 60s, if I remember wow. correctly, uh, which surprised me when I learned that. But so things like that, yes, uh, they be, they're a fashion, and a lot of it is dictated by what TV shows are out there. Yeah, yeah, that's they're the ones that are creating the sound that's needed. Yeah. yeah, they're telling you what they need. So I, I totally get that. And I tried to go down a bunch of different roads. I'm like, eh. <laughs> the same stuff comes out of me. So I'm just going to do what I do and try to use the best players. And I mean, Your stuff could get used on, you know, something on food TV, especially if they were doing something down in the bayou and they uh, were mm -hmm. eating crayfish, you know, and they need some <laughs> greasy blues to go along with that. No problem. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's a lot of guys that do that and do it quickly and efficiently. Well, anyway. Yeah, but you've got a lot of stuff that's out there waiting for that moment, too, and your stuff sounds very authentic. You know, we use the word authentic all yeah. the time in listings. The stuff we're playing here today, authentic. It doesn't sound like a library guy, and that's what people want. Yeah, yeah. Most people, a lot of people. When I get good comments back from your screeners, I can tell it's somebody that knows how to listen. Yeah. <laughs> and, but other screeners... Very politely, will say this is nice, but it doesn't match. And I'm, I know that's going to happen probably eight times out of ten. But when I do get a good comment, it's like, you know, all right, real deal. Thank you. We're going to forward it. So that that's a good enough feeling for me. And if, you know, three out of 20 make it, that's fine with me. I don't care. Uh, I just saw something good. Uh... Uh... <laughs> I don't want to sound like I know what I'm doing, but my wife loves it. That's got a lot of different... Uh, somebody was talking about dub derived from 90-something. Adriana was listening to the show on her cell phone in a restaurant until she could get home and hop on. It's pretty cool. Oh, wow. I did a show from a cell phone one time. Uh, okay, oh, wow. question. How often do you submit to taxi listings nowadays? Are most of your placements through taxi or through your own contacts? Uh, I probably have you know anywhere from four to ten tunes always submitted a taxi you know and um uh, and so i get forwards out of out of those and then like for all of us as we know once you start going to some rallies and you get one song in one library it just kind of grows from there 
So yeah, I've got a few contacts now at libraries. His greatest story, which he's being uh, not bringing up, maybe it's humility, maybe he's just old and crusty. I don't know. It's an old story now. <laughs> That's true. But his first rally, he was standing in line, and for some reason, uh, it was a gentleman that owned a library that had never run a listing with taxi, and yet was a taxi member. And this gentleman happened to be standing in line next to Richard, and they hit it off. And uh, next thing you know, Richard got like a hundred uh, of his pieces. And that kind I'll of never life. forget it was ninety-six songs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And in year one, I went, "Oh, this is going to be an easy business," <laughs> and I got spoiled. Like there was nothing. It was dead for a year. Uh, but I always anyway. tell people the the registration line at taxi people start lining up at breakfast time. You know, for I think we usually open the line at four thirty or five. And there will be hundreds of people in line all day. We, the staff and I always feel terrible. These poor people are sitting on the floor and waiting for hours. And they're taking shifts, going to the bathroom, bringing each other burgers and stuff. But it pays off. That line has made a lot of stuff happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Can so you walk us through your recording setup. Uh, Fender G-Deck amp, one Tele, one Strat, one Les Paul, and one plastic bass, and a Tascam 24 track. And uh, I think I've got What's your like microphone. A, it's like an AKG, about a two hundred dollar mic, just one mic. Like and an AKG C two thousand or something. I, I, I don't know. know. I don't even know. <laughs> it doesn't have strings on it. Oh, and I've got a Hammond XK one, so that's why that Hammond sounds good. It's actually a the B three in the box, the first Hammond XK one, and then another Yamaha keyboard. That's it. Uh, so many people think you got to go drop oh. ten grand. Um, okay, let's listen to another one. Uh, so we are up oh, to... Oh, where, uh, where are we? Uh, we're still kind of messing around with how to phrase blues solos. We did the fault line. I'm going to do, like, Brick House? Little Brick House. Oh, little brick this is house. just the solo. Yeah, just a little solo section. It's just, again, it's about waiting, pausing, breathing between phrases, answering yourself, listening to the other players, etc. I answer myself all the time. My family chuckles quietly behind my back. loves it yeah <laughs> no I just realized that's a nice example of uh, that's a telly and that's played with fingers instead of a pick wow so you get that kind of meteor sound uh, it'll twang in a different way than a pick will uh, it's got a different personality that would be the other thing I would recommend to all players no matter what you're playing uh, you're learning your instrument you're learning how to do everything musically you're learning how to work and play with other people uh, learn how to develop a personality on your instrument. And I don't know how to explain that, but I'm just going to say that. Because when each player in a group has his own or her own personality musically, it makes the music more colorful. Uh, and when they answer and talk to each other musically, it just sounds better, in my opinion. So, uh, meat on the strings is one of my crawdaddy rules <laughs> for groove. Uh, 
obviously acoustic players play finger pick style all the time, but on electric, it gives you a tone that's kind of hard to put your finger on. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. And so I thought, um, unless there's a, we need to chat a little bit, the next thing will demonstrate kind of a rock tune and part the A section is strum with a pick jangle and then the B section is played with fingers. So All right. So this one is called Wake Up and Dream. This is bass guitar and drums. Yeah, and this is starts with a strum jangle. That's an intro or a chorus, now the first finger. Back to the pick, Leonard Skinner. Fingers. Totally different tone, but it's the exact same setting, same guitar. What's the guitar you're using? That's probably a Tele and a Fender amp. Now the big jangle again with a pick. They're different emotions, you know. Yep. Okay. All right, now we're moving on to the full band version. Yeah, right, for the lead part. And that's the strum underneath jangle. Let me see your right hand, your fingers. Not your knowledge. No, I don't play that much. Calluses? No, no calluses. Yeah, so you hear the difference between the pick and the fingering, hopefully. It's just two different. And I was telling Michael, that's the exact same guitar, same setting on the amp, same everything, but just pick versus fingers, and a lot of guitar players already know that, but I, I thought it, your you know. fingers are just, I mean, I'm looking at it as right fingers, no, and nothing. I thought they would just be, you know, like... Well, they're just tough now, but there's no calluses, they're just, yeah, they're just tough all the time, but I don't really, I don't play that much, <laughs> unless I get inspired, Wow, somebody buys me a bottle of wine, um... So, yeah, meat on the strings is another way to create feel. Uh, obviously, when you finger pick, you know, I'm probably using three strings, a thumb and two fingers on that song. And, you know, as soon as you pick it, you damp it um, for guitar players. I'm sure there's parallels on other instruments, you know. What do you use pickup-wise uh, when you're doing a part like that and you're playing uh, with your fingers? Do you tend to use the middle pickup or... Uh, well, yeah. For my style of music, a tele bridge pickup is usually always good. You just roll some tone off, 
you know, when you put a teletone up all the way, it gets a little it's in the hurt range, yeah. you know. But um, I, I usually use about half tone on a tele and, you know, slightly gained, you know, a Fender, Fender amp. So I don't use any pedals or any plugins or anything. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it. Explain to them what slightly gained means. Well, you know, kind of that warm tube distortion. Right, but as far as the volume, how much, uh, how far up is the volume control on the guitar? How far up is the volume? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll take that back. I didn't say that correctly because I don't know tech talk. But uh, I usually got the, the volume all the way up on the guitar, half tone. And then if there's like a thing where you want to bring in more gain on the amp or more overdrive, I guess you call it overdrive, kind of a warm tube thing. But, you know, if the options are 0 to 11, it's always 11, right? I put it on about three or four. Okay. And just kind of hit it harder. Wow. It, it's so funny. People spend, you know, so much time learning software. And software does many, many wonderful things. I'm envious. And someday when I retire, I, I want to learn all this stuff. But, <laughs> Me too. Me too. But, I mean, this just sounds so good. And it, it's not even a pedal. Not even a pedal, mind you. No. All right, uh, moving on. So now we're up to... We're jamming through this stuff pretty good. Yeah. Uh, now, before we play this one, is this Need to Feel? Yes. Yeah. So um, one of my crawdaddy rules for creating feel and groove is the power of the two-bar hook. Everybody know what that is? A one-bar hook. As opposed to two hookers at a bar? <laughs> but a boom. <laughs> Abbott Sorry. Yeah. Who's on first? So he <laughs> set it up. Yeah, I did. Um, a one bar hook would be like ba da 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 you know, just a repeating one bar hook. Ba da 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 ba da 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 But a two bar would be like ba da 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 It's just it allows a space for a breath at the end of bar two, maybe for a snare whack or something. Um, I brought, I had a lot of examples, but we can't play copyrighted stuff here. But if you remember the Johnny Guitar Watson tune, Real Mother For Ya, that's bar one, stop bar two. Or uh, Night Fishing, Bobby Rush. Uh, there's a lot of two bar hooks, and they always turn into hits, at least in this genre of music, they do. So here's an example of me writing a song with a two bar hook. Kind of a funk. This has got some horns in it. Um, yeah, we're here. We're just hearing the full. Yeah, I got. I don't have a stripped down version. Just play the. All right, and this one is called Need to Feel. Need to Feel. Do you mind? Just need a little time to help me make 
Yeah, maybe. Those are fake horns. I did those. in the casino just woke up. <laughs> they already had their three uh, martinis. <laughs> that felt amazing. Uh, just friggin' amazing. Uh, and it is. Uh, the bass and the kick lock so beautifully and are in such a yeah. pocket. And your right hand is just amazing as always. Uh, a couple of questions about that. I noticed you guys were loving that one as well. Oh, uh, somebody, yeah. some people were talking about picks. Um, I saw that. I, I use kind of a, it's blue, whatever that thing is. I use pretty <laughs> stiff picks. I got a stiff pick. How about that? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, no, uh, yeah, so I use heavy picks. I can't use little flimsy things. That's another style of playing. That is not me. I admire people who can use thin picks. Um, you know, I was going to say, when you got a lot of horns and a lot of syncopated stuff going on, it's better to keep the bass just real simple, unless you're, you know, what's the guy's name in Tower Power? Francis Prestia, Rocco. That guy can play 30-second notes, and it sounds like he's playing nothing. But normally, when you got a lot of point, counterpoint, horns, two guitar parts, singers, you want the bass part to just be ball, ball, just lock it down right there. Uh, okay. How to know what is enough bass volume? Can I take that one? Sure, yeah. I, I'm terrible at getting that stuff in the right frequency range and the right punch. It's just listen to other people's records that you love and admire on the set of speakers that you're going to mix on. And if you do enough of that, pretty soon you just get a feel for where it's supposed to be. Because rooms do lie. Speakers sit on a desk, they're up against a wall, you get bass build up underneath the desk, um, and you're hearing more in the room that will actually make it to the two mix. So, yeah, just uh, listen. I, I used to always use Steely Dan records. Oh, I man. Know, you know. Yeah, that's the ultimate reference. Yep. That's the ultimate reference. It's amazing how even back in the early days, you know, or Donald Fagan in the 80s with all that Nightfly stuff. It's like, man, that stuff is crystal clear. Absolutely. Um, those guys had ears. And everybody played unbelievably well. It was amazing because <laughs> they were very surgical in the way they made their records, with the exception of the song Asia, which was all done live, I believe. But uh, a lot of times they would do kind of the process that you're doing. So maybe there's something to it where they, they would work a week on a drum part and then start recording the bass part for a yeah. week or two. 
and then go back and recut the drums to work with the bass and then start working yep. they they would sync up two twenty four tracks and just lay down tons of guitar parts you know burn up a whole roll of twenty four uh the twenty three available tracks because they had time code uh and just do like one guitar player uh on that then bring in another guitar player for a week and let him do his thing and just pick and choose all these little parts and when they That's put true. it together it still had such amazing feel yeah and you was, could play with steely dan well no god, no god no but uh the one line i remember from what you're talking about a buddy of mine who used to play drums with dion warwick and on that solid gold tv show he says well just because you're in the studio with steely dan doesn't mean you're going to be on the record because yeah. <laughs> they would bring three drummers in or five drummers and different guitar players and stuff. Absolutely. If you ever get a chance to see them live, don't miss it because yeah. it's like watching a record. And they sound, and they're pretty picky about their live performance, and it that always sounds good. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, what are we doing? Uh, Art of surprise. Power of the two bar hook. Um. Implied polyrhythms. Well, we'll play the song. I won't talk about implied polyrhythms. Why not? We've got time. We've still I'll, got I'll, I'll, 33 I'll, minutes. Oh, can we get out of here early? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, not, we don't, we, I'm hungry, are you? Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, okay. Uh, Andy was at the best freaks of the bass aren't down there in the subwoofer room. Yeah, I mean, Andy's like a really good engineer. He knows all this stuff in and out. I think... Kick drums are kind of, you know, 30, 40, 50 hertz, maybe around there. Bass is supposed to be in the low 100s. If there is a God, when nobody knows why he invented 300 hertz. Yeah. It doesn't belong in anything in general, you know. you got to scoop all that out. But if you scoop too much, sounds weird. Yeah. But it is, it's the fatal frequency. Um, Any of you guys ever heard of gravity guitar picks? Just curious. I just met a gravity guitar pick the other day. Uh, no, there's no noise gates on the drum on the toms. That was he, a question from Richard Charles. He wanted to know. On he the shapes drums. them. My my guy just shapes. He's kind of dialed in his EQ he likes, so they have a nice tight, tight boom, and it kind of fades just the right length, you know, the right amount of reverb and the right EQ. Does he does he put like feminine products on there or anything like that or gaffers tape around? Um, Oh yeah, like tape your wallet to the snare. Yeah, yeah. Um, not normally, but sometimes we'll do that if something's not working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I had the opportunity. I, I was in LA working on a record and needed a control room for something, and uh, I can't remember the name of the place. But uh, Fleetwood Mac was in there doing, I want to say Rumors, one of the records. Wow. Uh, and they were they were gone for a month. But the studio remained paid for and untouched. Oh. And so I went in there to do whatever. I was either doing a tape transfer or an edit, something that just required very little of the control room. So, of course, I had to go out and look at you know, the drum setup. Mm -hmm. And they had two kick drums taped together, mm. number one. And uh, I think Richard Dashett was the engineer on that stuff. And they would take a feminine sanitary pad and put a quarter, a couple quarters on it, and then hinge it to the rim of the drum oh, so okay. that when you hit the drum, it went up and then came back down. Whoa. Yeah, it, you know. It How just, come it, they couldn't use a male fem, uh, product? <laughs> I don't think. Okay. Well, nowadays they probably do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it was just simple. That's amazing. Yeah, you hit the drum, it bounced up, 
and then the weight of the quarter or whatever. And then it would dampen yeah. it when it came back down. Yeah. Wow. So they got just the amount of ring out they wanted and then. Yep. And, and I imagine you could change that by the amount of tape you put or what kind of tape you put on the, the hinge. I don't know. It, it was really cool and it worked really well. Uh, that's a new amount. I got to remember that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tape a quarter to the edge of the snare. No, not exactly. Uh, got some great recordings, two overheads and a kick uh, and a snare mic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, everybody's going dark. Let's see. They're, they're all talking about feminine products now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, swing versus no swing. If you do it in a swing, you can still start playing with timing of the individual parts and geese up. Yeah, okay. All right. I, I missed that one. <laughs> all right. Let's Somebody listen to another one. Uh, let's go on to number 13, which is called Do You Feel? What do you want to tell us about this? Uh, we'll probably just let this one play. This is kind of the, kind of a, the waltz, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, but it's rocking pretty hard. And I'll kind of tap out on your desk the implied Texas shuffle that's underneath this, but that is implied but not really played. But it's being implied by the bass player and the gu guitar player. Uh, the part is boo doo doo, you know, straight waltz boo doo 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 doo, and I'm going on. The, I do that during the verse, but during the chorus it's boo doo 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 doo, but it's still with a waltz beat on it, but it kind of sounds like a Texas shuffle. Okay, that was probably too much information. <laughs> Yeah, I could have done that, but I would have felt the 
um, a couple of people were talking about, do you teach your singer the song in advance? Do you ever send her a rough track before, you know, her session? Or does Not she her. Work? Really? She's, she's a yeah, walk-in, banging she's, out she's a couple a first, of takes. She's a first call, world-class first call singer. Just lucky. Phoenix is the weirdest town. There's all these incredible musicians living in this small town because they all tour with major acts. And but they live there and just we throw bands together, you know, because they can't afford to live in LA anymore. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and we're all getting a little older now. And that's a girl named Diana Lee, she's our age, and she's you're not going to believe who's you know, the 20 feet from stardom documentary. Yeah. She wasn't in that, but she could be one of those gals. She was 20 feet from Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, Reba McIntyre, Jeffrey Osborne. War. Wow. War. She well, sang all war records. Remember that band? Yeah, and not only do I remember that band, but I I won't say who the screener was, but we had a screener that worked here for about six years that was actually in war. Well, he probably knows Diana then. I don't know when she was with him, so I, I don't know. But yeah, it's, you know, she just walks in and she says, let me hear it once because I'll sing a horrible scratch vocal just to give her the idea. <laughs> and then like that blues when she did that, Fault Line Blues, that was one take Diana, one take. But yeah, obviously, if you're working with singers, you want to give them the track ahead of time to listen to it. Uh, in general, you know, just regular good professional singers, sure. I, You know, it's funny. People are so reluctant to pay for quality, but the, very often you, you try to hire the cheaper person or the cheaper studio or the cheaper this or cheaper that. It ends mm -hmm. up costing more in the long run because you get what you pay for. Yeah, and and in our case, in film, TV, it may never get be good enough to get in, you know, because a lot of people can do great stuff with software, not the singers, maybe, but um, not yeah, yet. I'm totally in, a believer in quality. It's like location in real estate. Right. If you got a huge mansion in the neighborhood called Shots Fired, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not going to be worth much money. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, she is, Cass, you're right. What did Cass say? So the other people... She's, she's just an amazing singer or whatever. So. All right. Uh, question. Exactly how do they know what you want them to sing? Well, I think he just answered it uh, by giving them a scratch track. A pro can just... Yeah. They can just walk in and hear it and just do it. And she's gone in 15 minutes. And she'll give me all the backgrounds and do all of them. You know, things that are a step, two semitones apart, and they're all in perfect tune every time. All the bars are at minus five dB, <laughs> and then she says, "I gotta go." All right, here's your check. <laughs> Bye. See you next week. Wow. Yeah, I'm lucky to have a singer like that. All righty. So, um, is that it? No, we've we got more. Uh, we're fine on time. We got 25 minutes left, and we've got one, two, three, four, five songs. Uh, okay. Well, here's Diana singing another one. I wrote this one. I'm doing a catalog with her right now. I'm gonna probably be pitching it you know, after we get it all mixed right and everything. But um, this is an example of a type of a soul tune. If you can, I try to make my music sound live, like it's in a little club, like a cool little R&B club, you know, old school R&B club. And if you've ever been sitting in a club, like a little R&B club, and the band gets up there and gets going, and they're going to put on a good show, and, and it's all great dance music, they'll usually open up with kind of something that's got a major groove, but it's not hitting you too hard. And I wrote the lyrics to kind of match the theme of the song, you know, get on up, move it any way you can. You're kind of encouraging the band to get out of their chair. I mean, the 
patrons, Obviously. yeah, and get and get up on the dance floor. So, all right, that's the idea, and it's funky. <laughs> Yeah, that's all he's playing, yeah, or me. Because <laughs> I can't play a hymn with the shit. <laughs> I do that though. <laughs> and it's right. There's nothing Jimmy Smith over one note down and I'm just kind of sure. right there that's r&b club funky you know like a little road roadhouse bar oh man i can sit here and do this i I only invite you here not because i like you but because i dig the music so much it gives me a chance to hear it yeah that's what we're all here for yeah i can't stand them on a personal level not cool musically i love the guy (laughs) kidding of course just that that's mind-blowingly good and it's simple everybody's got a little part they're listening and each of those Players has a personality, so to speak. That's the idea. I, I'm amazed you underrate yourself because you're a modest, humble man. But your keyboard playing, you know, it's what you don't play so often. Your bass playing is, is strikingly good. Um, the guitar playing is just... Yeah. Wow. But... Uh, you're good on all. You're not just good. You're excellent all, on all of it. Well, thanks. Yeah, and, and luckily... I like groove music, which is simple, and the parts are simple, so I don't have to 
you know, Hammond's, you got to be careful with Hammond's because there's a lot of information in one key pushed down on a Hammond that's, that's so intense, the color. So, you know, little two-note chirps, you know, yeah. that's all you need. And you're feeling it. Well, you that's know, where I mean, that's got it. so much to do with it. I mean, it's one thing to chirp. It's another thing oh, yeah. To... Well, that's hanging out with the meters in New Orleans back in the 70s. I was their little skinny white errand boy. I used to go get them burgers and brews and blunts. When they were like 25 years old. The three Bs. <laughs> <laughs> Got to remember yeah. that. Burgers, brews, and blunts. <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway, uh, you listen, I was listening to real good players when I was a kid. Uh, I think you're still listening. Cause, I mean, it's you don't get this good. You don't hear these parts, and you don't put this stuff together like you do unless you've listened to just a, a ton of music, an imaginable, unimaginable volume of music that has buried itself in your soul and just comes out to your hands. That's probably true. And uh, I think when I was writing the script up, I did say that at the beginning, you know, if you want to, even if you love, even if the first cool stuff you heard was, you know, Bruno Mars or Christina Aguilera or from a, you know, a later generation, that stuff came from this Roots era. So go back and listen to the Roots guys, you know, you can find them. They're, a lot of people know that, but really listen to how simply they played and, um, you know, build your art form out of the closest to the sources you can. Not that Mark Ronson isn't writing some cool as crap stuff for Bruno Mars. That Mark Ronson guy knows what he's doing. Yes, he does. He studied the meters. He, he'll talk about the meters for two hours, you know. And um, anyway, yeah, so listen, listen to what you're listening to. Pay attention and listen to the old stuff and um, get ideas from there, I guess. Uh, well, there's, there was a bunch of questions. Yeah, there were. Uh, what do we do with songs like this? Pitch to artists, pitch to film and TV, and it depends on the song. I'm, you know what? Every once in a while, uh, listings come up for Taxi where they want old school funk or they want old school soul, and I just I get on my computer every morning like everybody else, and it's usually right there in the subject bar. If I don't see old soul or rock or funk, I just, sorry, Michael, i got to delete that one because it's not for me. Yeah. You know, so just, yeah, there's it comes up. It comes up all the time. And, and, and then if you get some in a library that likes that kind of stuff, they'll ask for more. Uh, people are talking about the going rate per track in Nashville is about $1,000, which seems high to me. Um, yeah, that's pricey. Yeah, it's really pricey. It better be. Yeah, I mean, most most first or second call session people in smaller cities that aren't Nashville or L.A., you know, it's you know low hundreds, you know, for everything. Wow. Yeah, even even less than that. I've got a couple of singers that'll do it for fifty bucks. Um, do you They're mind, friends of mine, but you know. do you mind me asking what the lady's saying? This stuff generally gets. Yeah, I can't. I can't reveal that. that. Okay. She's a good friend. I'll put it that way. All right. Um, and then, where can I catch the Jethro Sexuals live in Phoenix? Uh, they're a fandom band. They don't exist. <laughs> they're all right here, except for the vocalist and the drummer. Uh, well, there's another guitar player in there, yeah. But uh, somebody was asking about. Oh well singer work for hire a blanket uh russell that well we kind of answered that yeah uh find good singers and players and work with them a lot and they'll give you a good rate <laughs> you know use them once not good yeah write them a check that doesn't bounce that always brings them back <laughs> um 
moving on. This one's called Texas Teaser. This is a full song. What do you want to do, say to set this one up? Um, it's just more, it's just kind of that, um, this is just me having fun with Texas-style shuffle. It's all instrumental. But instead of just playing chords and solos, write parts for each 12-bar section. And so the, it keeps the song moving forward. Each section is different. It's still a 12-bar blues, you know, that pace. But the guitar player is doing something different in every 12 bars. So, you know, have fun writing different parts instead of playing chords and then a solo, which and gets kind of boring. I haven't heard this yet, but you're talking about the, the progression of writing different parts for every 12 bars. This goes very much into, you know, film and TV cues where it's typically a 90-second or two-minute piece of uh, music in mm -hmm. virtually every one of those listings. We say add and subtract instruments to add dynamics and keep it, you know, the forward momentum going be because they don't want a verse, chorus, and a bridge necessarily, um, you know, for a cue, but they need movement. They need forward momentum. So, yeah, I, and 12 bars may be too long in a cue. You might need to do two bars or four bars because the time element is so short. Yeah, and on a 12-bar, you know, a 12-bar shuffle is going to be about 20-something seconds if it's at a typical flat tire pace. So, But I put holes between the sections, you know, so at the end of this four bars, blam, there's like a little hole where they can get in and grab it. Try to, anyway. I don't also know notice, you don't way. have, um, speaking of holes between sections, one of the sins I've noticed during my entire career is people that finish a section of the song, like... Uh, they'll finish a chorus, the first chorus, and before they go back into the second verse, mm -hmm. they'll drop a couple of bars in there. Like, the audience needs a chance to go, okay, now we're getting back to the verse. And it's yes. just wasted time and effort, and, mm -hmm. and you don't have that. You have a hi-hat thing, or you have a... Or there's, you, there's somebody leading it to the next section, yeah. but there's always a hole in there where editor can get in easily. And, yeah. Yeah. Like all you need is like a microsecond to get in there and, and grab the hat and take the next section. You know. Sometimes, uh, it's funny, I, I did a show maybe a month or two ago about um, easy edit points. We hear members that have taken that so literally that they'll build in a whole rest after every section, just leave a hole. Mm -hmm. And God bless them for trying. But I had to do a show to say no. When they say easy edit point doesn't mean... You know, even a big gap. Right, which people <laughs> would put Buddhist in like silence. a whole note rest, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. well, sometimes it's effective, but rarely. That's like a real surprise when you leave a, an actual, say, a quarter note hole. That would be really get people's attention. Oh, we had people really... Did somebody uh, just pull the plug? <laughs> we had people were putting a whole note yeah, I mean, yeah, like, that's that's, that's <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, man, look around music. the room. I okay. guess you can do whatever you want. Um, all right, we're moving. We're just playing the Texas Shuffle. You know, it's just uh, me. This is kind of a one take thing where all the parts are actually written out. I've played this song for years, and so I can play the whole thing and remember all the parts to it. It's about the only one I have left. Like and that. this is 15, Texas Tees. Yes. Okay, yeah. here we go. Here's the whole Give my hand sign on the on the edit point. Oh yeah. Now give my. Oh yeah. All right. Oh, when I get the edit. Right. That was a hand in there. Right there. That was one. Right there. 
hard to bend to do. That's back string three notes bend. It's hard to bend there. Right there. Right there. Have the snare and have a ton of reverb on it to get that rattle. Always actually right. I got an answer to that. had a great discussion which is very apropos. Polly astutely, because he's a taxi member and has learned this stuff, said, aren't those solos, isn't this music, great music, but isn't it too busy for TV cues? And Amanda blurted out the answer shortly thereafter, and I'm so proud of you, Amanda, because she nailed it. She said, background source. Exactly. You know, um, two guys walk into a bar with peanut shells on the floor mm -hmm. and you can kind of smell the air in the bar through your TV set. And it's old just, beer. yeah, old beer, just greasy feel in yeah. place. This is going to be playing from a jukebox 75 feet away in the other side of the room. And it's background source music. Um, could be also used uh, in the clear with no dialogue. Two guys come out of the bar, jump in a convertible, and as they pull onto the road, you hear five seconds of this. So it, it's it, it's yeah, it's too busy. Yeah, and I've had it rejected for being too busy for the that type of first, but for the background source, it's fine. Yeah. So Polly was right that it's too busy for. Am I near AC? You mean like air conditioning? Yes. Um, or electrical, yes, that too. Uh, you guys walk into a bar. <laughs> too Junior much. Brown, yeah, I love Junior Brown. I forgot all about him. Mojo says, too much for underscore, but just right for source. All right, we've got six minutes left. Uh, okay. So a big finish. Yeah, um, let's do one more and then take a few questions to, or you know what? 
Let's take a couple of questions and then play something for the big finish. And, and to go out? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's try and be professionals. All right. It's going to be tough, but we can do it. All right. A couple of questions. Uh, do these things keep looping? I see, I see the questions. No, people that get, um, type them in again. Oh, okay. The minimal reverb is very real. Thank you for noticing. We only use a little ambient reverb. There's not much. Who are some of your uh, all-time favorite guitar players? Somebody asked that early in the show. Hmm. Uh, well, Johnny Guitar Watson, Albert Collins. Uh, I like Albert King out of the Three Kings the best. He could do those four-step bends with those big gorilla fingers. Good Lord. Um, Couldn't text worth a damn. So, <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't have made it in the 20s. Yeah, so all the old black electric players and then the first good listeners of them, which would be like Johnny Winter, Billy Gibbons before ZZ Top got into the 80s era, uh, Bonnie Raitt, you know, people like that. Um, somebody just asked, uh, are you doing a panel at the Road Rally? You know what? You should do this in a class at the Road Rally. I was going to actually talk to you about that after, because um, I've got, I think it would be helpful for a lot of people. Absolutely. Bria, can you please make a note to ask Angel to add Richard to the Michael reminder list, so when we get closer to the rally. By the way, the, road, the uh, dates for this year's road rally are November 3rd through the 6th, I think, um, coming up in just a few months. And believe it or not, I'm already working on it. So mark your calendars. This one is going to be awesome. I have a very, very good feeling about this year's road rally. Um, Somebody over for Junior Wells. That's cool, whoever said that. Yeah, I got some stories. I, I've got... I put I put something up on uh, some page about Albert Collins, and I said uh, I did a I did a set with him one night that wasn't planned, and I got some good stories, opening stories or jamming stories. Okay. <laughs> um, do you practice a lot? I see people talking about practicing. Um, I mean, are you one of these guys that sits at home on the couch with a guitar in your hand all the time, just noodling? Uh, coming up with ideas, but I don't really practice scales or licks or anything no but just goofing around when you're just kind of getting creative yeah that's the only time i pick it up he does have a real he's got a day gig or well, not day gig but yeah he, he's in to work. He, he does real estate uh pine top perkins yeah everybody's dropping old blues guys names now <laughs> listen to the roots people Yep. I don't, and The Roots is good, the TV band, but I'm talking about The Roots Roots. All right. One more question. Come on. Somebody give us a question. No questions. Lots of chatter. No questions. All right. In that case, let's listen to one more thing. Oh, are you still playing live gigs? Julie asked that earlier. No. I just go out and sit in with friends every once in a while. 
he's that good. He doesn't need to play. No, I just I'm too lazy to go schlep gear and stay at a club till one a.m. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm and the way fact, up there in the years. He is not that lazy. Is the funny thing. This is a guy. I mean, he spent so much time prepping for the show, laying all the music out, and then I called him on. I think it was Friday and said, by the way, just had a thought. So he had to redo all this stuff, which I felt really bad about. Well, I think it turned out good. I'm glad that we edited it down. It worked out perfect. Well, I'm happy to have you here. So let's listen to something. Um, uh, how do you know when a track is done? Mojo wants to know. Uh, if, uh, get away from it and listen to it in the morning and see if it stands up to the cold, hard light of day. <laughs> and McGaith uh, wants to know if your singers are work for hire or royalty based. Work for hire. Okay. I always offer them a piece of the action. They're like, no, I need my money, baby. So <laughs> I'm not going to take no gamble on no film, TV stuff. Yeah. All right. So uh, what do you want to listen to? Do you want to play something from the record? Um, well, we're kind of on the. There's a few Jethro ones coming up here. Oh, okay. Uh, let's play. Um, one that I played on my first show, but now it has vocals. All right. Oh, well, you want to hear more of an ACDC thing? Your list is different than mine. Number, oh, eight, no. number 18. Okay. She's, uh, she's a banger. This was a taxi listing. They wanted strip, stripper club music. Okay. So we wrote one. <laughs> All right, here we go. She's a banger. It's not playing. Doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. So, there we go. Rock a little harder. Another singer for hire? Yep. This is uh, Glenn Campbell's drummer. Singing or yeah. playing? Singing. Wow. He was with a Glenn for 25 years. Lady 
Yeah. The first question, of course, is how did you know that they play at strip clubs? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of brothers who get married all the time. There you go. Um, and the next question was how many listings are in your wheelhouse on average each month? Um, from Richard Charles, who says he's a big fan of your music. Yeah, um, you know, I've, I've always got between three and ten in there. You know, I'll 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 just fire hose it, and you, you never know. One screener might like it, and the next one doesn't. You just keep. That's not dropping. about the screeners liking it. Come on, you know that. It's about well it being right. That's what, yeah, that's, that's what, I meant what he said. It's not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not putting any words in his yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, but anyway, you you know, a few, several a month. There's always, always got a few in there. I'm amazed. Uh, I just wrote a thing, I think, over the weekend that went out. Um, I am amazed by how many incredible listings, if I can pat us on the collective back as a company. Oh, yeah. Um, how many great listings go out, and we see low submissions. It's like, are the members even reading these emails? Really? And, and we're sending stuff to people, and they're going, this is awesome. First time, you know, taxi users on the on the company side and they're getting stuff from us and going this is incredible music where do i get more of this yeah um we have a guy who's like practically legendary in sports tv music and we ran some i think three or four different types of rock listings for him mm -hmm. and he's like this is great why is there more so why? we have to rerun the listings listen people yeah, I mean, we're astounded. We sit around going, where the hell? I mean, stuff that we used to get, you know, two or 300 submissions for, now we get 78. Hmm. And it's a numbers oh. game. It seems to be, you know, that a certain percentage that, not that there's a fixed percentage and we don't work by percentages, mm -hmm. but so much. Of I remember this guy got like, I don't know, nine pieces on something. And he's like, I'll take all of them, but I want a lot more. I'm building a catalog. Wow. Yeah. Is so, that... Uh, is that Going trends like over long periods of time, I and mean, you've been doing this forever now. I have um, trends as far as the submissions going up. Well, and down. yeah, well, like yeah, weaker, weaker submissions, and then it gets busy. You know, more um, people get active again. It's things like elections, um, summer vacations, holidays, things mm -hmm. like that will definitely cause a trough. Um, but you know, it's almost like we feel like you guys are waiting for the you know ten thousand. Well, no, they're waiting for the ten thousand. They go oh, for the, big they money. go for the big money one, and then we get you know way too many. Not that it's too many submissions for us to handle, but it's obvious people are playing the lottery, and they'll go, okay, I know they asked for a stripper rock for this you know truck commercial, uh, and I'm gonna send in blues rocker, I'm going to send in singer-songwriter, I'm going to send in circus music for clowns in a car. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what were you thinking? And they just saw the $10,000 thing and went, I got to do it, I got to do it. Maybe I'll get lucky and they'll just love my piece of music, even though it's not what they're asking for. Go to Circle K and buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. See which one fills up first. Yep. <laughs> Neither one. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's heartbreaking when we get new companies that run a listing and they're dying for stuff, and they're so shocked by the quality of what they get versus what they might get on their website. And they go, but I need more of it. And then we feel bad running a listing a second time, like the members probably think that we're shy of listings. We're putting it out a second time. We're not. Mm. Um, we're putting it out because they want more music. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you think, is the library telling that person directly to that got in? I want more, yeah. Unquestionably. Wow. And they're so, not responding? 
No, they may respond, but they can't have too much of the same person either. Oh, right. I got you. You know, yeah. and it's another thing that we find that libraries will go, well, I've got plenty of this kind of music, whatever the genre is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you've got 16 tracks by the same guy. Why mm -hmm. wouldn't you run that listing again six months later or a year later and find two or three Different more artists. people? Yeah, yeah, just so your catalog doesn't sound like... I, I look at libraries' catalogs online and I see, you know, here's one genre where it's almost all the same composer. If I were a music supervisor, I'd be out of there in a hurry. Right, yeah, because it's... Yeah, boy, that's a whole other thing that I don't even understand. I figure out when you talk about it how it probably works, but that's like a whole other world to learn. Um our, well, I guess thank, our job is just to keep writing, right? Yep, and, and thank you so much you for uh, just showing these guys how to keep it simple, how to give it groove, give it feel. And um, with that, I say goodbye to my buddy, Mr. Richard Crawdaddy Dance, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Michael. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Always great Bye, to see you. Bye, you guys. See you next November. And I'll see you next week. All right, for another exciting, oops, almost forgot the band, another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live by 